courses that you'd never sign up for if you didn't have to take them. And uh, one of those courses that, um, that I took met a science elective, and it was um, in ornithology. And uh, knowing the astute group that we have here, there's probably six of you who know what that is. So uh, if one of you explained to the rest of the group what ornithology is, that was very good. I like that. Wait, oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a study of birds, which is uh, really something that everybody should do sometime. Um, which a study of birds, and anyway, we had a big midterm that was coming up, and I had a friend who was in this particular class with me, and, and the midterm uh, accounted for about 80% of our grade in this particular course. And uh, so we studied and uh, put some effort into it, and uh, he, this guy had a kind of a short fuse. He was one of those guys that just any little thing that didn't go his way would really ignite it. And uh, we went into this particular class, and it was one of those real intimate kind of a, um, a classes with about 250 students that they had the stair steps, and, and then down in the front was where the professor sat and the overhead. And, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and in this particular case, he had a table that was set up. And when we walked in the class, having studied everything that we could imagine that we had ever been taught, we walked into the class, and we went and we sat down, and he handed out uh, the test. And what he did was he took 12 stuffed birds, and he had put bags over each one of these 12 birds. And the only thing left was the legs of these 12 birds. And so as we looked at the test, what it said on the test was you were to identify the, the, the species, the natural habitat, migratory uh, patterns if they were applicable, uh, food and boundaries, and just anything that you can think of that had to do with, uh, with these birds. And the only way that you'd be able to identify the bird was you'd have to identify it from its legs. And... Um, my buddy didn't think that was real funny, and uh, having not really checked out a bird's leg in a long time, there are a few gals on campus that had bird's legs, and we could have picked them out if there was a bag over their heads, but oh, like you can remember, come on. Anyway, so during the course of this particular test, his, his fuse was lit, and he got angrier by the minute as he, as he knew that there was no way he was going to identify these birds. So out of frustration, he just marched down, the, I mean, from the very back of the room, he marched down the steps, he had his test, he wadded it up, he threw it in the trash can, and he just he started to walk out the door. And the professor got upset about it, and he said, young man, where are you going? He said, you know what, this just isn't fair. We haven't done this the whole semester. There's no way I can identify birds by their legs. This isn't fair. I don't think this is right that you should put us through something like this. We spent a lot of time studying, and he started to walk out. He goes, young man, what is your name? And he turned around and he rolled up his pant leg. And he said, he said, you know what? Why don't you tell me what my name is? And I thought, you know, I thought, this is great. Now, every one of us, I mean, every one of us. And then I began to pick up on the fact that now every department has certain lingo. Now, if you've ever gone to school, you know that each department has certain lingo, and they know you're not in that department because you don't know the lingo, and so you don't have a chance to get anything better than a C because they want to keep the, the people in their department, they want to keep their grades higher than everybody else. So if you don't know the little buzzwords and the jargons, you are left out in left field. Now, I know each of our professions is the same way. I'm in the heating and air conditioning business, and, and, and oftentimes what happens is you begin to speak in the lingo of your profession. Well, you require so many CFM or the SEER rating or the SE rating is this and the BTUs is that and this is, you know. And you start to talk to people and they look at you like, you know, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So each one of us can identify that in our professions we have a certain vocabulary that we use that we forget people we speak to don't converse in that on a regular basis. 
And what happens when we study the Bible, it's the same type of thing. We have a problem in that the Bible tends to have a lingo of its own to some degree. And so what we have to do is we have to begin to interpret what that lingo is as a natural course of conversation with somebody who doesn't understand the language. So it's not unusual for us to do that. We do that in every area of our life, so we shouldn't be caught off guard. But one of the problems that we have when we go through Scripture is that here all of a sudden is a phrase that we'll find in this passage that we're going to study. It says that we need to be walking in the light. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a clue what that means. And it just doesn't come natural to sit down and go, oh, walk in the light. Okay, yeah, I know what that is. I pick right up on that. And if you're like me, when you're reading through it, unless you've got some time to dig into it, you just go skip right by it. You just read and say, oh, this was good, nice time to read the Bible, oh, good devotion time, yeah, maybe that was great. But you, 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 don't, you don't understand a thing that you read. And so what we, we do here is we try to take this language and make it practical so that every one of us will leave here knowing today what it means to walk in the light when we see this phrase. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to 1 John, the first chapter, and what we're going to do is we're, we're going to for the most part, just interpret this phrase and to be able to put it in a practical language so that we can understand what the Bible is speaking of because it's critical that we understand as far as our destiny is concerned whether we walk in the light, whatever that means. So in 1 John, we'll pick it up at the, at the first verse and uh, we'll go through verse 7. It says, uh, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message which you heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us, from all sin. So as we go through this, Zane Hodges has written that these principles are of immense practical value to the everyday lives of all Christians. By these principles, believers may test the reality of their personal relationship with God. They may also discern whether they have come to know the God with whom they say they have a relationship. So what we're going to do in this particular session in verses 5 through 7 is define what it means to walk in the light. Because it's critical in our understanding of whether or not we truly have a relationship with the God who created us through his son Jesus Christ. It'll be a litmus test or a test, so to speak, of whether you really are going to spend an eternity in heaven with the God who made you. That's what this passage is going to help us to understand. Now, remember last time we met together, we talked that this particular um, uh, letter was written particularly to young believers or new Christians so that they would have a good understanding of what it meant to be a Christian and then what it meant to live a life that was, well, that was behooving a Christian. How to live after you've made this profession of faith or after you've come to the point of saying, you know what, I believe that God took the form of flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. 
I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that his death was sufficient for my sins and there's nothing that I could do to ever earn God's favor, that I'll totally trust that and that alone because he proved to me he was who he claimed to be by the fact that he rose again from the dead. The historical legal evidence is available to us to say not only did Jesus claim it, but he proved it by the things that he did. John earlier wrote that all the things that he did, the miracles or the signs that Jesus Christ accomplished while here on this earth, he did so that we would believe upon him, that we would believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So he's saying that that's the case. Now he also takes it a step further and says, guess what? If you put your faith and trust in Christ, now you are admonished or encouraged and also you have the capability to walk in the light. Now, the problem is, what does it mean to walk in the light? And so what we're going to do is, I'll give you just a, a very simple, easy definition of what it means to walk in the light. And we'll take a look at some examples through Scripture. But when you see the term in the Bible, walking, it has to do with where you live. It's your lifestyle. If you are walking in something or a certain manner, that is your lifestyle. And so as we go through it, we see a few examples in Psalm 89, 15. It says, Blessed are those who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your presence. Now let me ask you something. If you had a spotlight shining on your life every day, everywhere that you go, every place that you hang out, would it change the way you live your life? Example. We have a friend in one of our Rams Bible studies who is an, a referee in the NBA, Ed Rush, one of the five best NBA referees as listed by people that like to list things like that. So, but he's one of the best NBA's, a, a referees in the NBA. And he came to the Bible study, and we were talking about it one time, and he said, you know when I really got good at being a referee? When do you think he really got good at being a referee? When he made more money, then he really took it serious. No, that's not it. You know when he got good at it? When they introduced videotape. He got great at it. He goes, there's nothing more embarrassing than finding out you blew a call and they showed it over and over again on instant replay. He goes, all of a sudden, I started to pay much more attention to everything that I did. It was better to make no call than a bad call. And so I thought about that for a second. I thought, you know what? There's a lot of wisdom in that. Now, let me just get basic here for a second. Because that's where I am. I'm a pretty base kind of guy. But let me ask you a question. Why is it that most people only pick their nose when they're in their car on the freeway? <laughs> when you spend a lot of time in the car, you have time to observe things like this. Why is that the case? Because they're surrounded by windows and no one can see them? I'm not sure I understand. But why is that when most people choose to do that? Because what? They don't think anybody's looking. Let's face it, I don't see anybody doing it now. I see a couple of slick ones going like this. But, you know, it's a pretend it's an itch. We know the trick. So anyway, why do people do things like that? Because no one's looking. You don't pick your nose if someone's looking, right? And if you ever got caught, you pretend you were doing something else. I don't know what. Got stuck. I don't know. I woke up like this and it was just... That's why, because people look and you don't do it. Now, except for Tom, he doesn't care. So, what he's saying is that if you're to walk in the light of his presence, what it means is that he is shining a spotlight on your life. 
wouldn't it be interesting to have a spotlight on your life at home? Wouldn't it be fun to have people actually see exactly how you talk to your spouse? To see how you treat your children? Oh, maybe that's a little too convicting. Maybe we can move it to the business arena. Wouldn't it be fun to have a spotlight shining on your office at work? And how you pay or don't pay your creditors? Or how you lie to them about the fact that you may pay them or you're going to pay them or the check is in the mail or what you're doing with their money? Wouldn't it be interesting to have a spotlight on your life in that area? Wouldn't it be interesting to have a spotlight on what you tell your employees or your coworkers or how you flirt with your secretary or how you go out and how you do some of the things that you do because no one's looking? Wouldn't that be fascinating to realize that there is a spotlight on your life? And if you don't think so, flip, a, flip behind a second, a couple books to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. You know one of the things that, that if, if my children don't learn anything else from me, I would hope that they only learn this. I mean, because they can't really absorb a whole bunch. So I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm picking and choosing what I want to, you know, hopefully cause them to absorb. But this is one thing that I want them to absorb. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Look what it says. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, if my kids don't learn anything else, I want them to learn one thing. I don't care if you don't think your folks are looking. I don't care if your boss isn't looking. I don't care if uh, your neighbors aren't looking. I don't care if nobody that you think you're accountable to is there to see it. I want you to understand one thing that we have a God who is everywhere at one time. And not only does he see what you're doing externally, but he knows your thoughts, he knows your intentions, and he knows what you're thinking. And as we say in the vernacular, he knows what's up your sleeve. He knows what you're thinking of doing. So I don't care if you learn anything else at all in the time that God has given us to spend with you, but one thing I want you to learn is that God sees everything you're doing. And you know what? Not only does he see, but he takes it into account and you'll be judged for what you do. Men and women, I'll tell you what, if that doesn't change the way you live, nothing will. That should change the way we walk. See, and that's what he's saying, that we need to walk as we talk. We need to live it. He goes on in Ephesians 5, 8, it says that we are to walk as children of light. We're to walk as a child, a son or daughter of God. We're to walk as one who represents someone else. Paul went on to say that we are all ambassadors, that we represent Jesus Christ in this world. And so we are to walk or represent him in a way that is reflective of him. The things that people see in your life, that's what they should see. Biggest problem, and I don't know if I shared it a couple weeks ago when I gave my testimony, but the biggest problem that the world has in seeing Jesus Christ are Christians who block their view. Can't see Jesus because Christians block in my view and what I see of them doesn't make any sense. There's a contradiction between what they say and what they do. And they're watching. And whether you know it or not, we are a light in this world. We cannot be hidden. And as a result, people are watching your life. It's no different than driving down the freeway and picking your nose. I'm sorry, but I know you'll remember that and probably nothing else today. But it's no different than driving down the freeway and picking your nose. I want you to know that people are watching. 
They may never say anything to you. And in fact, you know what you want to do sometime? When you drive by someone picking their nose, wind your window down and yell, I saw that. <laughs> Just to let them know someone's paying attention to what's going on. We're to walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, 4, walk in the newness of life. Meaning what? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creature. All your old habits, all your old lifestyle, the way you used to do things, the way you used to think, are all gone. Now what? Now you've got to walk in something new. Behold, all things become new. There should be a difference between an old life and a new life. There should be a difference between before Christ and after you come to Christ. There's got to be some difference. So what he's helping you to understand is, if there isn't any difference, then nothing's changed in your life. Then nothing's happened. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Don't walk to please yourself. Don't live a lifestyle that's, that's generating around pleasing me, making me happy while well, I'm doing it because that's what God wants me to be, is happy. But you know why you're here? We just went through a series, pleasing God. Why did he create you? To pl- bring him pleasure. The only reason that we're here is to bring pleasure to God. And if you're not bringing him pleasure, you're going to be frustrated anyway because the only pleasure you'll ever get out of life is when you know what your purpose in being here is. And when you're pleasing God, then indirectly, then we're pleased. It's a wonderful thing. It's like having children who please their parents, and when they please their parents, their relationship is great. And all of a sudden, because their relationship is good, the child enjoys the relationship as well. So not only do the parents enjoy the relationship with the child, but the child enjoys the relationship with the parent, and it's all done because the child knows its purpose is to bring pleasure in obedience and submission to his or her parents, as long as what they ask them to do doesn't violate the Word of God. And so as we go through this, this walking, this lifestyle, is something that's very important for us to grab a hold of. Romans 13, 13 says, let us walk properly. Can I ask you a very simple question when you see a term like, a phrase like, let us walk properly? What does it imply that it's possible? That you can walk wrongly, right? Let us walk right. Straighten up, fly right, walk the right right. It's implying that, you know what, you have an option of not walking properly. So you can walk right or you can walk wrong. So what John's trying to get across to us is, are you walking right or are you walking wrong? If you're walking wrong, let's correct your steps. As many of you know, I've had an opportunity to train a few times to run races. And if you don't run right, I'll guarantee you, you're going to have some physical problems. And the moment that you have an injury, you begin to compensate for it in other parts of your body and causes stress on other joints or other tendons and ligaments, and you've got all kind of problems. If you don't walk right, you've got all kind of problems. If you've got a, um, a defect in your foot and you don't get corrective shoes, it's going to cause problems throughout your whole body. So that defect has to be corrected in order to make sure that you don't hurt yourself any more than you already hurt. So he says you've got to walk right. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the, the lusts of the flesh. What he's saying is that there is a right way and a wrong way to walk. And it's important that we understand what it is. And so what we're going to look at are five truths about walking in the light. Five truths from this passage about walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to uh, walk right? And how do I know whether I'm walking right or I'm walking wrong? Because that really is the practical, personal application to all this. How do I know if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm going the wrong direction? So we're going to take a look at that. Five truths about walking in the light. Here's the first one. Look at verse 5 for a second. It says, And this is the message that we heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
So what John is saying is the first thing that we need to understand is that what he heard about this new concept, this idea of walking in the light, he heard it from Jesus Christ directly. Jesus is the one who came up with this idea, so it isn't some fad or some uh, uh, fashionable thing that some preacher came up with or some new age terminology about walking in the light and, and all these types of things. This concept, this idea of walking right, comes directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. And so what John heard, he could not help but want to tell us about it because it's a truth that we need to know. This truth will determine whether or not well, it's going to determine where you'll end up in eternity. Understanding this truth will determine whether, where you end up in eternity, whether it's in a place that God has called heaven in his presence or a place called hell, which will be away from the presence of God in a place that will be eternal torment for all of eternity. That's the choice, and it's based on how we're living our life. That'll determine, to some degree, where you spend eternity. So he said this concept he heard from, from, uh, from Jesus himself. Now look back at verses uh, 1 through 3. And I want you to see this because it's important. John is an eyewitness of the life of Christ. So as he went through this, he said, you know what? From the beginning, from the beginning of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, I was there from the very beginning. I was there from the day he came when we were fishing, and he called my brother and I and said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. I've been with him from that moment all the way through his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. I saw him. I heard from him. I I was part of it. And I'm telling you, just face out exactly what happened. And he said, from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and and our hands have handled. He said, what we have heard, it's, it's in a present, present tense, meaning that it's present continuous. He heard it at a point in the past, but what he heard continued to that moment in time as he wrote what he wrote. It was what he's saying was, you know what? I heard him teach it, and it's, I've never been the same since. I, it's never left. The ringing in my ears has never left this point that he made. I had heard it at a point in time, but what I heard has a continuing effect into the present and into the future. And every one of these terms that he uses is the same thing. He said, what we have seen, what I saw happened at a point in time, but what I saw has changed my life from that moment on. It has never been the same. It's a continuous effect. See, ladies and gentlemen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what you heard at that time, what you saw at that time, has continuing effect upon the way, the lifestyle that you now live. It has to. You don't have a confrontation with the God of the universe and have it not affect your life and impact you in some way. It's impossible. God doesn't sneak in. Jesus Christ doesn't sneak into your life and, and when you're not looking and you don't know about it. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, I'll guarantee you what the Bible says is true. From that moment in time, there's a place reserved for you in heaven and now it's a matter of how is it continuing to affect the way that you live. You're still in process, you're still in progress, and I know that because I am too. Because he who began a good work in me at that time is continuing to perfect it until the day that I see him face to face, until the day Jesus Christ comes back. There's still some rough edges in my life, and you see it every week. And he's working on them. But I'm not worried about that because I know there's a place in eternity for me, and he is, he is sanding out those edges as time goes along. But the point is, there's progress. It's like being in the middle of a diet. If we didn't see you at the beginning and we saw you now, we may think, boy, you look pretty fat. But the people that know you say, man, they just trimmed 70 pounds off that carcass. Looking pretty good to us. And so the good news is since God was there at the beginning, he was there at the beginning of our diet, he sees exactly what he's done, and he's saying, you know what? 
Boy, I'm sure perfecting a good work in him. Look at the direction that he's going. That's the exciting thing. And it's also the dangerous thing about being so judgmental when you first meet people for the first time. If you don't have an idea what God's done in their life, then you just better save it and spend some time listening to them, talking to them, getting to know them. And you know what you'll find after a while? You can praise God for what he brought that person from. That's exactly what will happen. And so as we go through this, he said, and it says, we also beheld. In Acts chapter 1, you know what that word is? It means it's a word for theater or arena. It says that, and what we beheld. Think about this. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there staring up into space? Why do you stand there intently staring into the sky? Do you remember the scene? Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends into heaven. And all the disciples are standing there intently gazing upon this sight. They're in awe of what they just saw. Jesus literally taken from the face of the earth and ascending into the heavens. And they stood there and they gazed. And that's why the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing intently into space? This same Jesus, as he left, he'll, he'll return. So just the way he went, that's the way we're going to see him come back. But the word is used, it says, that, and we beheld. We looked upon him continuously, not only during his ministry, but we gazed intently at what we saw him do. This guy's life has been changed, and it'll never be the same. And so he said that we, we understand this concept of walking in the light because Jesus told us himself. In John chapter 1, 4 through 9, it says that in Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Jesus Christ is the one who claimed, not only did he communicate the concept of light, but he also claimed to be light. He said in John 8, 12, he says when he spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So now the question is, how are you living your life? Is your lifestyle reflective of a person who has come to know Christ and is walking in the light, knowing, literally, that there is a spotlight on your life every day? Every secret thought, everything you're conniving to do, there is a light that shines on you. There is a light that lives within you. Jesus Christ, as he resides in a believer, is the light of the world. So his light illumines us. His Holy Spirit convicts us. His presence in our life lets us know all the dirty deeds that we're up to. And it's a matter of do we, we consciously recognize what it is that we're doing or do we have no sense of conviction about it at all? Is there a struggle going on in your life between the things that you know you should do, the things that you fall and do, that you don't want to do, the things that Paul wrestled with? Why do the things that I want to do, I don't do, the things that I should do, I'm not doing? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this bond of sin? And he said, but thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gives us the power to stop living a life that's displeasing to God. If you've come to know him. If you haven't, you, you don't have a chance. You're going to keep on doing what you're doing. That's why you hear people that are in, have problems in their relationship and they do the same thing over and over again. And then they cry, oh baby, honey, honey, I don't mean it, I'll never do it again. And they do the same thing and they beat their kids and they beat their spouse and they go through all this or they have a problem in this area, another area of life and I'll never do it again because they're afraid to get caught. Oh baby, baby, I'm not going to do this anymore. But they keep on doing it. Why do they keep on doing it? Because they can't stop doing it. They can't. Sin is a chain. 
And right when you think you're going to get away from it, you start tripping over it again, and you start doing the same thing again. But the only one who can break the chain is Jesus Christ. And he busts the chain. And he gives you an opportunity. All those things are gone, and now I can live a different life. And I'm looking forward to what it is. We don't know what it is. And that's why we're here. We're going to learn what it is. And so the second thing he talks about is that it's centered in the moral character of God himself. See, this is the key to understanding how it's going to work. It's centered in the moral character of God himself. See, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You know, one of the things that I I think would help us to get an understanding of, God's moral character, it is inconsistent for God to ever walk the fence. It is inconsistent with the moral character of God to ever struggle or wrestle with sin to ever have the opportunity to make a wrong choice, to ever have the opportunity to sin. God cannot sin. It is mutually exclusive to say that to put sin and God in the same category. And this is what he's saying. That walking in the light, being able to walk in the light, is centered in the moral character of God. God can't sin. And so as a result, what we see in Scripture is that We don't have a high priest who is unable, in Hebrews 4.15, to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He can't sin. It's impossible for God to sin. And then he goes on in James 1.13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God's tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God cannot sin. It's as simple as that. So as we think about this whole concept of walking in the light, it begins to help us to realize that, you know what? That God, in fact, Plato said, light was the shadow of God. Light is the shadow of God. Now here's the point. Can Christians sin? Now don't forget, we're talking to new believers here. This book is written to instruct new believers. It also has a lot of stuff for the rest of those who have grown a little bit. But can new Christians Okay, you remember the illustration as natural for a new Christian to sin as it is for a baby to take a dump in its drawers. Okay? Oh, you weren't here last week. Okay. Yeah, well, you wouldn't. I'm, the rest didn't forget it. Okay, so don't forget. Dump in drawers, pick in your nose. Okay. You don't get that anywhere else, I'll tell you right now. But the thing is, it, it's, it's natural to do that. But the question is, is there progress in your life? If there is no progress, then you've got a problem that you need to deal with. And that's the next thing that he's talking about. We have got a problem if there's no progress in our life. And this is what he says. Walking in the light is always contrasted with walking in darkness. See, we like to talk about gray areas. Let me just tell you something. There are no gray areas. Everything in the Bible is black and white. It's very simple. It's this way or that way. There are no gray areas. We, we, we muddle it up and we try to mix it up. We try to make it gray, but it isn't gray. It's not gray in God's sight. It's this way or this way. And I'll give you an illustration of it. But he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Oh, that sounds so judgmental. Don't you just hate it when people are judgmental? That sounds so judgmental. Doesn't that sound judgmental? What he's saying is, hey, you're a liar. You're a liar. If you say, that's what he's saying, if we claim, and what he's saying is, it's very easy to do so. Now, let me just give you two different contexts for this, okay? Two possibilities. One is, let's take the person who says, hey, I'm a Christian. 
Is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, then why are you living like you're living? Because walking in the light is mutually exclusive from the character of God. Then why are you living like you're living? See, what the Bible says, it's very easy to claim to be a Christian. But the real litmus test for whether we are a Christian or not is our lifestyle. And don't let anybody ever tell you different. The way that you live your life will determine from your standpoint, our standpoint, an external standpoint. Granted, only God knows the heart. But you know what? He spent a lot of time to help us to identify the evidence of a changed life. If he just wanted to leave it at, hey, you know what? I know the heart. Don't worry about it. He wouldn't have spent a whole lot of time telling us about the external evidences that we can look at to make sure we do know the truth. He said, don't deceive yourself. Examine yourself to make sure you're really in the faith. So what you need to do is sit down and say, man, you know what? Is my lifestyle parallel to the lifestyle that's painted of a believer in Scripture? Or do I continue to do things that the Bible says are absolutely wrong to do and it doesn't bother me at all to do it and I just keep on doing it? See, what he's saying is if we claim, if we say so, and it's easy to do that. I know people, and you do too, we all do. Hey, the easiest thing in the world to say is I'm a Christian. That's not hard. Watch this. I'm a Christian. Didn't hurt me at all. It's very easy to say it. Yes, sir, re. Born again. Man, arrive. You better believe. And they even know the jargon and stuff. And John said, you know what? There are people in his church. They claim to be Christians, but they left. You know why they left? Because they weren't of us. If they were, they would have stayed, but they're gone. That's why they're gone, because they weren't part of this program. But they said it. They claimed it. Now, the thing is, hey, just don't claim it. How are you living? Okay, that's one. Now, here's a second one. And this one concerns me just as well. And that's the person who knowingly sins and says, but I still have fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a guy who is shacking up with his father's wife, showing up at church every week. Didn't bother him at all. Showed up every week. Part of it, you know, went to the, went to the Bible study, went to the you know, fellowship group, spent a lot of time with everyone that was there, went out, did things together, and everybody in the church knew that this guy was sleeping with his father's wife. Could have cared less. If you asked him, didn't have a problem with it. What's wrong with it? Nothing wrong with that, is there? Hey, God loves me. I have fellowship with God. No problem. I know people have been disciplined from churches that have never made right why they were disciplined, went down the street, joined another church, and guess what? Hey, I don't care about what they told me. I have fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship. No problem. Really? Where do you get that? See, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we're a liar. Talked to somebody just recently left her husband. Why did she do it? Oh, because it was just not working out. Well, don't you see a problem with that in Scripture? Well, yeah, but that's right. I know God will forgive me. Oh, really? You know what? You're a liar. You're a liar. Oh, that's pretty judgmental. Yeah, and pretty accurate. So I don't have a problem with it. Isn't that what it says? Hey, do, do, do we need any help here? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, if we claim to be Christians and continue to live in sin, you know what? You're a liar. One of two things. Either you're not a Christian, or the second thing is you don't have fellowship with God because you've broken fellowship by the sin in your life, and you can't pretend like it's not affecting you because he who he loves, he'll discipline as a child. God is going to get you if you're one of his. If you're not, it doesn't matter. You already had. And so that's what it says. You know, and we need to understand that. 
boy, you know, it would be amazing. I think it would change some of our lives if we understood the fact that we just can't do what we want to do and yet pretend like it's okay. It's not okay. It's not what the Bible says. See, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness and they don't know what makes them stumble. You know what? We don't have any time. Oh, I hate this. But we have next week, right? All right, well, then we'll come back next week. Oh, I didn't want to come back next week. <laughs> Too bad. Um, well, let's just stop and think about something. Do me a favor. Um, spend some time. Read Ephesians chapter 4. Because we're going to have to do is we're going to have to learn how to walk right next week. That's really what it comes down to. If you're not walking right, then next week will help you to learn how to walk right. It'll correct the, the, the problems that you have in your life. But the real issue is this. And um, can I just ask a personal question? Can we leave here today with the understanding that there is a light that is shining on your life? Not only is there a light that shines on your life and we're to walk in that light, but the Bible says if we've come to know Christ that we are also a light in this world. And you and I make a statement whether you understand it or not. What are you telling the people around you? Which statement are you making? And I want you to leave here as I will challenge myself to understand that no matter what I think, no matter what I do, no matter where I go, whether I'm driving on the freeway or at home with my wife and my kids or at the office or with the neighbors or on the ball field with my team and people watching, wherever I am, I need to be consciously remembering the fact that God is seeing everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think, and everything that I'm planning. And it should change my lifestyle. My good old country preacher once said, Son, just make sure the tongue of your mouth and the tongue of your shoe are going in the same direction. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we just give you thanks for your word and how blunt it really is. God, help us never to sidetrack it, to soft-sell it, or try to walk around it and skirt it. But I just am, I, I'm just convicted about the fact that you say that our lifestyle is the only evidence that we truly have of whether we've come to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God, when we realize that our eternity is riding on that issue, we better take a good hard look at what you say about how we should be living. Help us understand it's not that lifestyle that, that makes us right with you. It's putting our faith and trust in Christ that makes us right. But that lifestyle is an evidence of the decision that we've already made. Father, help us to realize that. Help us to see the contrast or the difference between what you call darkness and light. And also uh, convict them, Lord, to come back next week so they can get a better handle on it. And we just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.